is RAF with Tony Tran and LA. <laughs> Yo, you tuned in to RAF. I'm your host, LA, aka the Love Ambassador, joining you on this Sunday morning from, uh, for once for a change, sunny Melbourne. Um, today, usually, obviously, we're doing the blues series, but we're going to also start showing how blues music expands. Consider it to be the roots of the tree, and it expands into all different genres, all different influences, and everything like that. So, to explain a little bit further, we're going to take you on uh, what was a sexual powerhouse, the one and only Betty Davis. As she explains, they say I'm different. <laughs> can see Betty, <laughs> Betty Davis is, uh, in my view, one of the most important female artists ever. And I understand that it's quite a big thing to say, but the reason being is that she really challenged, uh, not only from a racial perspective during the sort of, towards the end of the civil rights movement in America for a black woman, but also more importantly, um, Challenging, I guess, the 1950s sort of nuclear family and the housewife sits at home and obeys the husband and does, you know, the cooking and doesn't really have a voice. Um, what was famous about her is that she, because she challenged it so much, it actually ended up ending her career a lot earlier because the record labels didn't want to play it. They wanted something clean. And on top of that, uh, the radio just couldn't handle a woman just being so... Explicit, <laughs> I guess you could say. Anyway, so she was born Betty Mabry, um, and she was born in, let me just check here, Durham, North Carolina, just outside Pittsburgh. And her grandma's farm in Reedsville, North Carolina, which was a pig farm. She listened to B.B. King, Jimmy Reed, and Elmore James and other blues musicians. One of the first songs she wrote at the age of 12 was called I'm Gonna Bake That Cake of Love. Also at that age, her family moved to Pittsburgh. She was born in July 26, 1945, and she's still alive at the moment. Age 16, Betty left Pittsburgh for New York City, enrolling at the Fashion Institute of Technology. Living with her aunt, she soaked up Greenwich Village culture, which at the time was the folk music centre of the world of the early 1960s. She associated herself with frequenters of the Cellar, a hip uptown club where young and stylish people congregated. There was a multiracial arts crowd of models, design students, actors and singers. At the cellar, she played records and chatted people up. She also worked as a model, appearing in photo spreads in 17 Ebony and Glamour. Uh, 
Greenwich Village at that time was really a highly expressive sort of area and a lot of um, famous people that we see today actually came out of that era because that's where they were really, um, as an arts community, joined together and exploring. In a time in New York, she met several musicians, including Jimi Hendrix and Sly Stone. The seeds of a musical career were planted through a friendship with soul singer Lou Courtney, produced her first single, The Cellar, with simple catchy lyrics, Where are you going, Phyllis, so fly? I'm going to the cellar, oh my. What you doing there? We're going to boogaloo there. The single was a local jam for The Cellar, yet her first professional gig was not until she wrote Uptown of Harlem for the Chamber Brothers. Their 1967 album was a major success, but Betty Burby was focusing on her model career. She was successful as a model, but felt bored by the work. According to Oliver Wang's They Say I'm Different Liner Notes, she said, I didn't like modeling because you need brains to do it. It's only going to, you don't need brains to do it. It's only going to last as long as you look good. Well, in actual fact, she's got a very, very good point. Let's check out her next jam. He was a <laughs> those type of lyrics would have uh, turned a lot of ears and heads during that time. Anyway, as a model in 1966, she eventually runs into the famous jazz musician Miles Davis, who was 19 years her senior. At the time, he had just separated from his first wife, Dancy Frances Davis, and he was dating actress Cecilia Tyson. Betty began dating Miles as early as 1968, and they were married in September 1968. In just one year of marriage, she influenced him greatly by introducing him to the fashions, new popular music trends, and in his autobiography, Miles credited Betty Davis with helping to plant the seeds of his future musical exploration by introducing the trumpet psychedelic rock guitarist Jimi Hendrix and funk innovator Fly Stone. The Miles Davis files the Kilimanjaro includes a song named after her and a photo on the front cover. Uh, she had a significant influence on Miles Davis in the sense that he, you know, bitches brew on a lot of his f very, if not most famous albums, um, really kind of came out after they had their uh, short love affair. Um, in his autobiography, I guess uh, Miles was sort of saying she was too young and too wild and accused her of having an affair with Jimmy Hendrix, which is why many people, the last song I played, feel like she was <laughs> hitting Jimi Hendrix with a torquoise chain. Benny still denied the affair, stating, I was angry with Miles when he wrote that, and it was just disrespectful to Jimi and me. Miles and I broke up because of his violent temper, and she maintained that throughout basically the rest of her life, that he was just a, a very violent man behind the scenes. Anyway, as I said, she he did great, she did greatly influence him, uh, and also she briefly dated Eric Clapton um, and a few other people. The musical career starts to take off um, a little bit towards right towards the end of the 60s, 
and at the start of the 1970. In 1968, she was still involved with Hugh Masekela and she recorded several songs with him. After the end of the marriage with Miles Davis, Betty moves to London, probably around 1971, to pursue her modelling career. And here she starts to write more music um, and gets involved with the pit locks of the famous Santana. Um, and also with her music, she becomes sort of like a who's who who's backing her up. Uh, Larry Graham, uh, obviously the famous bass guitarist, was there. Santana, a lot of other very famous studio musicians and musicians within their own right. Her first record, Betty Davis, was released in 1973. Uh, she released two more studio albums, They Say I'm Different, and also uh, Nasty Girl. Well, let's listen to one more song of her. So she basically keeps doing her albums. It basically doesn't get played on the radios because it is, as you can tell, for the 1970s, just far too provocative. Um, and this is where, you know, nowadays you can kind of swear and do whatever you want on radio to to a certain extent, whereas in back then, like even up into the 90s when rappers were, you know, emceeing, if you, if you watch Biggie, he's got a little, uh, you know, hit, just to sort of black out the, the swear words. So when she's having such provocative lyrics coming through, um, it made it difficult to get airplay. And as such, also the fact that therefore, you know, hard to sort of sell the records. She remained a cult figure as a singer during part to her open sexual attitude, which was controversial for the time. She had success in Europe. In the US, she was barred with performing on television because of a sexually aggressive stage persona. Some of her shows were boycotted and her songs were not played on the radio due to pressure by religious groups and the NAACP. Carla Santana recalled Betty's indomitable. She couldn't be tamed musically, philosophically and physically. She was extreme and attractive. After recording some sessions in 1979, Davis stopped making music and returned to Pittsburgh, where she lived quietly ever since. This is also what makes it such an interesting story, in the sense that she was such a firehouse that literally no one could... <laughs> As Carla Santana kind of rock was said, no one could actually tame her. And because of that, she was like, well, you know what? <laughs> you guys don't deserve me pretty much. Don't you go on no train? Oh, 
So basically what happens is she essentially just disappears off the face of the planet. She heads back to Pittsburgh, and um, as time goes on, people sort of slowly, like myself, kind of discover it, you know, around the way as you're checking out the records, and you're like, oh, it's a pretty cool cover of a nice-looking lady. I wonder what it is, and then <laughs> tell your friends and whatnot. So basically what happens is uh, around sort of 2007, a documentary is done, and it's that they say I'm different was the name of the documentary. So the really interesting thing for me about Betty Davis was how she really challenged the status quo. And she gave us uh, three albums, which I would definitely, definitely recommend you listen to. It is one heck of a journey. Um, and also musically, it's just unbelievable. So what we're going to do is we're going to leave you with that for a bit of food for thought and uh, we're going to finish you off with a little last track of hers. (laughs) 